Oh no, Russia's going to start World War III in Ukraine. Not so fast. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Green, and before I tell you why, I'd like to ask you to hit that thumbs up button. Maybe the subscribe button. What the hell? Just do it. Anyway, I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Ott, and this is Right Angle, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Uh, gentlemen, you've all seen the headlines. Russia's massed 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine, and President-ish Joe Biden is thinking of sending up to 8,500 American troops and sailors and airmen and Marines to Europe to reinforce, and we don't even know what they're going to do there. If they're not going to fight. Why, why are we sending them? I, I don't know. Nobody knows. But what I do know is that amateur study strategy and professional study logistics, and while I'm not a professional, I know how to read them. So I, I had to take notes on this one. It's a deep subject. Uh, the Center for uh, the Center of Defense Strategies, it's a Ukrainian outfit, uh, they published a study and it was translated for the English language Kiev Independent, and that's how I found it on Tuesday morning. According to their analysis, a full-scale invasion capturing most or all of Ukraine in the near future seems Unlikely. The reason is logistics. Uh, Russia's mass all those all those troops. But what they haven't done is mobilize support units, medical units, uh, POL supplies. That's petroleum, oil, and, and lubricants that you need to keep the tanks running in Greece. Um, the study says that if Russia was conducting preparations for a large-scale invasion, it would have been much more noticeable. And the authors conclude that a large-scale general mili military operation can't take place for at least the next two or three weeks. And that's if Russia were to start doing all of these things right now. And they still haven't started doing those things. Uh, Scott, put yourself in uh, Putin's shoes right now. You've massed all these troops, but you haven't done the other stuff. What are you up to? Well, first of all, I can't afford shoes like that. Um, he has much nicer <laughs> shoes than I do. Uh, you know, uh, I think Putin is using a playbook that has been reliable for years. And that is that you don't have to do what you appear to be threatening to do because the West has become soft in its old age and will cave if you simply rattle the saber a little bit and indicate that you might be thinking about it. Um, America in particular has become uh, heavily conflicted since the Vietnam War about uh, foreign wars, even though we spent all those years in Afghanistan. I think most people don't view that really as a war war, for want of a better phrase. Um, it was a long-term occupation. A lot of people got killed in the course of it, but it didn't have that fury and intensity that people associate with a large-scale war. So I, I don't think, I, I agree with you. I think logistically, it seems unlikely that Putin is preparing for a great land invasion. I mean, the old saying in war is you break it, you bought it. In other words, if you get in there and start taking territory, you need to be able to govern that territory. You need to have the supplies on hand to feed people and to house people and to, and to heal their wounds. Um, and they don't seem to be set up for that kind of an operation. I do think that he is trusting in, um, it, it's not the, the cowardice of the West. It is really this sense that we have, uh, we believe now that, that humanity has ascended to a higher plane and that somehow through diplomacy, uh, we'll be able to talk some sense into Mr. Putin and, or, or for that matter, even, uh, herd the cats of the European Union together <laughs> and all take some sort of concerted action or, or the cats of NATO for that matter. Um, so, uh, I think he's counting on this um, muscular bluff to have its impact without having to uh, assert additional assets. Uh, 
Wow, a lot to, to still a lot to go over here. Um, you know, just just to make this clear, I'm no Putin stooge. He's a thug and a thief, and what he's stolen from the Russian people is absolutely criminal on a scale that uh, I'm not even sure America's elites could get away with uh, in their in their fondest dreams. Um, that said, I'm also not saying that suddenly peace is going to break out because Russia's not ready for an actual full scale invasion, Bill. The authors also said that, and this is a quote, there are other threatening scenarios that may materialize short of all-out war. Those include cyber attacks, which are already taking place, and the forecast is that they will intensify further. And these would also be psychological operations, such as active disinformation, mass bomb threats at schools, subway systems, administration offices, and other facilities, along with the spread of disinformation. The purpose would be to demoralize the Ukrainian people and to paralyze the Ukrainian government in order to achieve through uh, through fear and intimidation what Russia probably couldn't get through uh, through arms. And what occurs to me is all of these things the authors talk about is what the military likes to call operations short of war. Do you think it's time we need to expand our definition of war to include aggressions like this? No, definitely not. I'm no. tired of expanding definitions to make mm. them more and more worthless. Um, war is where people point guns and weapons at each other and kill each other. That's what war is. And everything else that gets that title is diminishing the title. So there's a couple things here, Steve. Um, I didn't understand the Russian psychology towards the Ukraine until I, until I married a Russian woman. Um, I don't want to misstate what my wife has said, because it's a fairly complex uh, thing. But, 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 I think most Russians believe this. I don't think it's so much that they still think that the Ukraine is one of their countries, although they certainly do feel that, you know, it's kind of like if, if you know, Oregon left the Union and then, you know, we, we would still have a strong attack. Well, not Oregon. Pick another state. You get the idea. So, so it was a Soviet socialist republic for a very, very long time. But the one thing I've noticed when, when Russians talk about the Ukraine is how much money, effort, infrastructure Russia invented in, uh, invested in the Ukraine. And so they feel like, okay, you won greats. You know, we basically built your, built your country out of nothing. Now you're running off to the other side and, and now you're NATO. And they feel a lot of resentment towards that. A lot of um, entitlement in a way that they, that they've made those kind of investments in the Ukraine and, and and that that Russian uh, desire to have buffer states is so deep in their in their DNA that it's very difficult for them to countenance the idea that the the next guy over would actually be you know full on NATO partner at least sympathetic. So there's that. I agree with you about the logistics, and I agree with you about the idea that there being a full scale invasion of the Ukraine. I think is is. Not only not on the table, I just don't think it was ever on the table. What I am worried about is not so much the cyber attacks and the disruptions, which sounds like a normal day here in America. What I'm talking about uh, as a concern is something that we saw in World War One, where we had this intractable war, where everything was you, you'd lose 15,000 men killed on the Somme to gain a mile. After a while, the British High Command developed uh, a term for this strategy, which was bite and hold on. And basically what their, what their strategy was, since there was no strategy, since the technology of World War I had stalemated the war, 
the strategy that the British were operating on from 1916 onward was, let's take a mile and then hold that mile. Then we'll take another three miles over here. We'll hold that mile and we'll take another little bite, another little bite. Everything up until the Somme was predicated on this giant breakthrough of the line. And then the cavalry goes in and then the whole, you know, and, and then Berlin falls after that, they were saying, no, we're going to incrementally nibble away at the boundaries and we're going to keep doing that. And that is what I think is the biggest risk. And that's why I think uh, uh, Joe Biden saying that, you know, oh, we're not too worried about a couple of border incursions. The border incursions are how you get there. You just basically border incurs yourself until you're in Kiev. <laughs> and, and that's a real concern. Uh, which connects to my uh, uh, right angle for this week. But yeah, I, the, the, the final thing you mentioned is uh, American troops there. We have, have had American troops in Europe since the end of World War II. We've had them in Korea since the end of the Korean War, which is only just a few years later. And the reason that those places are not at war now, despite the fact that Korea being the most highly militarized spot on planet Earth, is because of the tripwire effect. So it was never that the American troops in Korea were going to be enough to stop the North Koreans or, or likewise in Europe. What it essentially boiled down to was if North Korea was going to invade South Korea, they would have to kill Americans to do it. And that's what the entire tripwire psychology was based on. They're going to have to kill American soldiers in order to invade South Korea. And if they kill American soldiers, now they got to fight with us too. And I'm hoping that that is what the insertion of these U.S. troops into Ukraine is about. No, they're is doing it to Eastern deterrent. Europe, not to Ukraine. They'll be going to Poland, oh, well, Romania, case, the Baltic states. In that case, it's just it's just saber saber rattling. Yeah. I think look, Putin's a bully, and he's gotten a lot through bullying. And and during my show, I'm going to talk about why he thinks there may be a window of opportunity here. Uh, but we'll we'll see about that. Yeah, here's uh, here's what I think uh, Putin is up to, and uh, that pretty much goes along with the, the facts on the ground, at least as described by the Ukrainian Center for Defense Studies. Um, I think he hopes to win through negotiations what he is unlikely to win on the battlefield. Uh, Putin really wants Ukraine new, uh, neutralized, essentially. Uh, Finlandization is what we used to call it. I don't know if that word is still current anymore, but Finland during the Cold War didn't really get to have its own foreign policy. Uh, the Soviet Union told them what to do, but other in terms of foreign policy, but otherwise left the Finns to their own devices. And that's, I think, what Putin would like in Ukraine. Uh, but I think he wants more than that. And what he'd really like to do is bust NATO wide open by getting Joe Biden to make more concessions than he really needs to or ought to in a situation where we don't really have to do anything at all. We're in a situation where we don't even have to negotiate with Putin at all. But I think he's trying to bluff Biden into talks where Biden will give the store away. And between Biden and Anthony Blinken at state, Putin might just get his way. That's your right angle on that. Brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Hit that like button. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.